It's certainly a privilege uh, to minister God's word to his people. And I don't mean that as a euphemism. It's when I consider how much God loves his church, Christ loves his church, and how precious he sees us, and how much he desires to feed us with the word of God. And, and, you know, when we are chosen to minister to the church, it's such an awesome privilege. So I stand here in, um, in complete humility and uh, humbled by this uh, privilege. Please uh, turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 20. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Let's look to the Lord once again for the blessing of the word. Father, we thank you again for this privilege to come together this evening to look to your word and to understand what you have for us, Father. And we pray that, uh, Father, um, the Lord will provide you with your word as your, even as your word said, your word will not return back to you in void, that it will find its purpose. Although the instrument that you use sometimes weak, but Father, your word is strong and your spirit is mighty. Pray that uh, the Lord would even use this weak instrument to speak your word to your people so that we might be edified and our lives might be transformed to live for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in these uh, last days, Father. Come at this time to you in Christ Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. <coughs> In this brief passage, we are privileged to see the the prayer life of Apostle Paul uh, with regard to the saints of God, and it's a it's a beautiful prayer. I mean, I was when I was reading, I was been I've been reading the Book of Ephesians for the last several uh, several weeks, actually meditating on it. Or and uh, when I came across this prayer, it, it was like it was. Uh, I've read it before, but it was just had to stop, pause, and just had to understand the uh, the uh, the beauty of the prayer and all that's implied in it. And uh, first thing I was convicted of this was uh, when I was reading this passage. My prayer is anything like this, not and and falls fall, 
fall, fall far short of uh, this, this kind of prayer. And I believe uh, the Holy Spirit has left this prayer here, not just so that we can get a glimpse of Paul's prayer life, but I think the Spirit of Lord, Spirit of God, intends us to model uh, our prayer. I mean, not exactly word for word, but some of the main themes here. And he's left it, the Spirit of God, I believe, left, has left us so that we can model our prayer, especially with regard to the saints, uh, believers, after this. And there's another beautiful prayer. I mean, we don't have time for that. Uh, in chapter 3 also, of, uh, from verse 17, and uh, there's another occasion uh, we can uh, think about that. But you can look at that on your own later on in uh, chapter 3, verse 18 also. But <clears throat> to today, this evening, that's what I hope to do. I mean, uh, just to meditate with you on this prayer and just to bring out some of these wonderful thoughts. Paul first begins uh, in verse 16, this wonderful prayer. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for, for all the saints. So there's a, the reason why Paul is praying and giving thanks is verse 16. Is that I do not give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Why is he giving thanks? Thanks for the faith of the efficient believers and the love for the saints. And he starts his prayer, interestingly, with thanksgiving. And I think that's, and this is not also an accident. The Holy Spirit has left this for us as a model to imitate. When we, even when we bring our petitions to God, it's a good thing. It's, it's uh, important to understand we start with thanksgiving. We start with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for all the prayers God has heard before. I'm reminded of that uh, uh, story where those ten lepers who were healed by the Lord Jesus, you know. Ten lepers, they, they were in helpless state. They came to the Lord. The Lord healed them. And only one returned. And Lord, in Luke 17, 17, it says, Lord said, where, where there are not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? And so many times, you know, we can be like that. I mean, we can look, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, we are thankful for all the things, but we can sometimes forget, when we, especially when you're in a time of need, we can uh, forget to give thanks. And I, I would, and this is a good thing to start our prayer. Even when we are petitioning, even when we are bringing our needs in desperate situation, to start with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for all the prayers he has for. And here, the thanksgiving Paul gives is... Uh, for the saints, it says, I do not, do not cease to give thanks. That itself is beautiful. That Paul's, you know, does not, he does not cease to give thanks. That itself shows the heart of Paul. And again, it's, I don't think the Spirit of the Lord has left us here just so that we can see how spiritual Paul was. But, you know, I think the Spirit of the Lord is telling us to also continue in that pattern, not to cease, but giving thanks uh, for all things, particularly for the saints. Now, the question to, we should ask us, how, many, how often do we give thanks for the believers that we know in our local assembly and even outside? How often do we give thanks? You know, so many times we give thanks for so many favors to receive physical things, so many answered prayers. But do we really, like with earnestness and passion, give thanks for the believers? For the growth you see, the 
that transform lives for salvation. And the thing is, one thing we have to be reminded is that when you give thanks only when you really are thankful, when you're really grateful, when the, the gift that you have received is really means a lot to you, right? I mean, when you, let's say you prayed for something so earnestly for so long, and then finally God answers that prayer. We are, we do give thanks, I think most of us we do. And we, we give thanks with earnestness. We wait for, especially if you have to wait for so long for something, and when we receive that, we understand how grateful we are. We give thanks. But if, if it is true that we do not give thanks for the saints, for the salvation and the growth, I mean, they should consider ourselves, like, in our, examine our lives. Do we value the saints? Do we value the believers of God, believers uh, for assembly and other believers? Do we really, really value them? If you really value our believers, our, our fellow believers, naturally the thanksgiving will rise up from our hearts. And if we examine our hearts and realize that we do not give thanks to God for a fellow believer, it's something we should consider. And the only way we can give thanks for our fellow believers is if we truly love them, love them from the heart, you know. And that, you know, let's examine ourselves. If, there's, if we have not been giving thanks for the believers and there's a lack of true love, I'm not talking about just having, you know, liking each other or coming to fellowship and just enjoying each other's company, but a true, genuine love is a precondition for giving thanks for the believers. So let's examine our lives in, in even this moment and how often, have been, how often we have been giving thanks to God for our fellow believers. And if we have not been, let's pray to God to give us a true, genuine love for our fellow believers. That will result in giving thanks for... And that pleases God, you know. When we give thanks for our fellow believers, it pleases the heart of God. God is pleased with that. So... So this is definitely a model to imitate. Uh, do not give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. Now, <clears throat> verse 17. Now there, Paul starts his actual petition. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, the source of you know, the prayer is addressed to God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory. Again, when we come to God, you have to really have I mean, come to God in that reverence, understanding our position with relation to Him and who He is. Father, you really have to understand who God is and who we are coming to. You know, so many times, I mean, definitely not in our assembly, but, you know, nowadays, you know, in the contemporary Christianity, in where, in the pop Christianity, I would say, you know, God, you know, people may be sincere, who knows, but, you know, God is not addressed with the reverence, you know. Uh, sometimes I even cringe when I hear, you know, uh, even probably true believers, you know, youngsters especially, when they address God in a manner uh, that doesn't consider his greatness and awesomeness. Let's never forget who he is. Uh, he's the father of glory, father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory. Now Paul says, May give you uh, that the Father of God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge. So the first thing Paul prays is for the believer, and this is fundamental. What does God desire of His 
of his people, of his children. That they know him. Now there's different degrees of knowledge. Uh, the fact that we have been brought into the family of God requires us to know him through Jesus Christ. Without knowing him in that way, we would never be in his family. So we do know him in that sense. He knows us in that sense. But there's different degrees of knowledge. You know, as an example, um, you know, those of you, for you, those of you who are married, when you first met your spouse, during the dating relationship, you knew, or you dated, or, um, but uh, you knew your spouse or your future spouse in a particular way, in a, and that was a certain knowledge. But then, once you got married, you knew that person in a, in a deeper way. And then, you know, if you've been married for so long and if the relationship has been very good, and I hope it has, it's been, <laughs> so the, the, the depth of the knowledge increases. It's not the same knowledge as you knew that person the first time you met them. No, it's a different knowledge. And likewise, you know, when we come to, came to know uh, God through Christ Jesus, uh, we knew him, of course, but then God does not expect us to stay at that level. He expects us to grow in knowledge of Him. That is His fundamental desire uh, for every believer. Because why is that important? Because only when you know a person can you appreciate that person, right? I mean, you can, you know, first time you, again, coming back to that example of analogy of that, you know, spouse, you can find have that romantic feeling and all that stuff and a nice goody feeling, all that. But, you know, you cannot really appreciate that person unless you have communed with that person and lived with that person and interact with that person and on. And then the, your appreciation of that person, again, in a good relationship, is, is even more. And that's why God desires us to know Him more and more because only through knowledge of Him do we understand who He is, how great He is, and, we, and if we stay at that stage where we first came to know him, through, I mean, at the time of salvation, our relationship never develops. We never know who, how is the greatness and his goodness and his kindness. And we won't get into the depth of it unless we grow in knowledge. And we cannot even worship him properly as he desires unless we... So for, even for worship, true worship, deep worship, the knowledge of his person is essential. So that's fundamental. And that's God's desire for each believer that they would know him more and more and more. And this is just not intellectual knowledge, just that, you know, just theology, just a... And again, coming back to the analogy, like, you know, you know, when you first person met the person in your life, you know, you... I mean, you know that person, they what they look like, and, you know, all the same... Or the physical appearance and a lot of things, but when you when you say you have come to know that person, it goes much beyond just that intellectual knowledge, what they like, this and that. But it's kind of I can't even explain this. But unless you know, I mean, I'm not I'm talking about you. Unless you know that person, know their who they are in a deeper way, and you appreciate them more and more and more. And in a good relationship, even after so many years, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. You, there's more to know in that person, right? And more you know, more you love that person, more you adore that person. It's the same thing. More you know, grow in the knowledge of God, more you appreciate Him, more you worship Him, more you adore Him, more you love Him. 
That's why God requires us to know Him. And Paul's prayer is that we will grow in the knowledge of Him. Fundamental thing of Christian life. That we will grow in the knowledge of Now, Paul says uh, here that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of God, may give you this. Now, in order to know God, it's not something that just, you know, you read a book or theology or just sit and understand and know God because knowledge of God is a very precious and sacred thing. Turn with me to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Corinthians uh, chapter 2 verse 10 says uh, 10 and 11 but God has revealed them uh, them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of God for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God even so no one knows the things of God Accept the Spirit of God. So we come across this fundamental truth. Knowing God is not something that happens by reading theology books or, you know, or contemplating simply upon Him. It requires the aid of the Spirit of God because only the Spirit of God truly knows the mind of God. Only the Spirit of God knows who God is. And that's why Paul here says that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now the spirit of wisdom and revelation is again not another spirit, another, you know, something else that you, another spirit that you ask for wisdom and revelation. It refers to the same Holy Spirit. And, but it's a, the spirit of, the Holy Spirit um, who illuminates us, gives us wisdom and revelation. Just one more verse, I just want to turn uh, to um, Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 2, just to get a better understanding of this. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2, and this is a messianic... A chapter concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, a verse, I just read verse 1 and 2. Is, and there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon The Spirit of the Lord, meaning the Holy Spirit, of, shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So who is the spirit of wisdom and knowledge that is being referred to here? And you can go cross-references and it's the spirit of the Holy Spirit. It's not another spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rested upon our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That's the same spirit that uh, Paul is talking about here. Now, there could be something could be, you could misunderstand this verse in, in this because Paul is saying, may give you 
the spirit of wisdom. So that might, might imply that Paul is saying, okay, um, you know, Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit to be given to the believers. But that def- we definitely know that's not true because we know that from the, the moment a believer comes to, uh, to knowledge of, uh, comes to saving knowledge, the Spirit of, uh, Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in him. And uh, if you turn to verse 13 of the same chapter in Ephesians, uh, we see, uh, see the truth. Uh, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you have trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you have believed and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit, the moment you come to know uh, Christ as a personal Savior, the scripture is very clear that the Holy Spirit comes to reside. And in fact, in another words, I don't remember the exact uh, reference, but it says, he who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, do not let, uh, do not let people fool, especially in the charismatic moment, they, uh, they teach that you have to wait upon the Holy Spirit to come upon you even after you believe. Yet, and so many people spend so much time praying for the Holy Spirit to come when the Holy Spirit is an essential, uh, is, we've been, we read in the scripture that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and, uh, and the Spirit of the Lord comes the moment we trust Him. So definitely Paul is not saying that God will send the Holy Spirit uh, to the believer because the Spirit already resides in us. But so the way we would infer this passage would be Paul petitioning God to uh, for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and knowledge uh, that the Spirit of God will illumine our hearts concerning God himself. <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That only the Holy Spirit can reveal, uh, give us knowledge of God. And Paul's petition is that the spirit of God who resides in us will open up wisdom and knowledge concerning God himself. And that's definitely something we can model our prayers after. That we can look at each believer and say, you know, Father, you can pray to God that the Spirit of God who resides in them that will open up special knowledge, wisdom, and understanding concerning God. And God will answer that prayer. There's no doubt about it. And can you imagine a believer who has grown in the knowledge of him, matured in the knowledge of what a transformed life. You see that person's life being transformed. When you know God, when you know his goodness and kindness and how great he is, could you not, would, you, would that person not respond in worship and in love and adoration? That life will definitely be transformed. And essential to that transformation is the knowledge of God. So we should pray for our fellow believers that we would grow, that each believer would grow in the knowledge of him through the Holy Spirit. That Spirit of the Lord will open our hearts, give us wisdom and understanding concerning God himself. <clears throat> Verse 18 next, then continue. Paul continues, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Again, Praying for illumination that our hearts and eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And again, this implies that you know it's possible to be a Christian and live a 
you know, go through a Christian life and have and our understanding not to be enlightened. Why would Paul pray like that if that's not the case? It is possible we can go through our entire Christian without knowing the greatness of God, without knowing that we may know in periphery, if we, but it's possible to live in poverty, in spiritual poverty, to go through the entire Christian life without our eyes being enlightened, our eyes not being open to understanding. It is possible. And Paul says, praying that that would not be the case. You know, we can pray like that for our believers. That we would not just live in the periphery of Christian, like we'll go into the depths. That God will open our, the eyes of our fellow believers to see, you know, um, uh, to know Him and also concerning these next few things we'll, uh, we're going to consider here. Uh, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling? First, so first, there are three things here. We get the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory in inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of greatness of his power. So, first thing, uh, Paul prays for his that the believer, the fellow believers, will understand what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. And why is that so important? <clears throat> and what, uh, before I can consider, what is this hope of his calling? And in simple terms, hope of his calling is, you know, what is in store for us as believers, right? After this, after this present, uh, after this life and here on earth, God has prepared this marvelous future for us. First of all, you know, to me, the most exciting, and I'm sure for all of our believers, the exci- most exciting thing is that we will see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. That's the most awesome thing we can think about. That, that time is coming, as a brother even mentioned. It's coming very soon. We can be excited of that, about that. The hope of this. That's the most exciting thing for any believer, that we will see this person who gave everything for us. We will see him in his glory. And you will see him looking at us with love and kindness in, in embracing, ready to embrace us. That's the most, I think, the thing that gives us all the greatest joy. The hope of His good. But there's so many other things God has stored for us. The hope of His calling. Elsewhere, we read, read, even the Lord Jesus Christ, probably, I go to prepare a place for you, mansion for you. So we know that there, God is preparing this Wonderful. I do not know if the mansion is a physical, there's going to be a mansion, or it's just the presence of God. I do not know. Whatever it is, I know it's just going to be, you know, even with all these expectations, we, we, our minds are going to be blown away. This place God has been preparing so long for His children, whom He redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That place has been prepared. And also, we'll be revealed. Our, the, our corrupt bodies will be taken away. We'll be given glorified bodies. And we be revealed. To, the church will be revealed to the to the universe, the principalities, powers, all the, in our our position with Christ. That's also hope of glory, and that we will reign with them. That's also hope of us. So all these things are the hope of His calling, right? And then Paul says, you know, sometimes we can go through entire life not realizing this. That's what Paul says. You, you, 
And we can go through entire life not realizing all these beautiful things ahead of us. And why is this hope, why is it essential that we be rooted in this hope of His calling? Because when we live in this life, right, I mean, our mundane life or even troublesome life, we can be shaken back and forth, right? I mean, like, even hearing all the news now we hear, you know, wars and earthquakes and who knows what's going to happen uh, here, you know, hopefully nothing. But, you know, or even with so many people having personal tragedies in life, we can be shaken by all these things that surround us day in and day out. And at that time, there's only one thing that's an anchor, that's a hope. And, you know, recently I, I mean, we went for a vacation and went on a cruise ship, and we saw this massive cruise ship, like huge. But, you know, there had to be an anchor. That ship had to be anchored to the ground. Otherwise, even this massive ship could be blown by the winds tossing back and forth. And I think of hope as an anchor that can anchor us in this life when we are facing trouble, when we are facing things that we cannot endure anymore. That's when we have to look at this hope of His calling. And that's the thing that stabilizes us, you know. And, Paul, and sometimes we can be shaken. Even strong believers can be shaken back and forth. And we have the flesh and the world and Satan fighting against us. And we face that day in and day out. And unless we are anchored in this hope of His calling, we, even a strong believer can be shaken up. But as long as our eyes are set, our hope is in His calling, will now never be shaken. I mean, reminder of Peter, you know, where as, as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he could walk on water. The moment he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, he sank, right? It's the same thing for us. The moment we take our eyes off that hope of his calling, and we, we are completely tossed about for day to day, we can be, we, even a strong believer can be shaken up. That is why it's so essential that believers have this understanding of their hope, that, that this hope of his calling will be constantly in front of us, that we'll be, we'll be aware of that. And it's not just something that happens automatically, right? And that's why Paul's saying that your eyes of, uh, the verse, um, is the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. You have to be enlightened. You have to be aware of this. How is that going to happen? Believers upholding one another. We have to intercede for our believers, especially when we know believers, our fellow believers are going through the times of trouble. They cannot take it anymore. That's when we step in, intercede for them in the, in the presence of God, that they will have, their eyes will be un- enlightened. They will understand what is their hope of the calling, that they will not be shaken up. It is so essential for us to intercede for our fellow believers. Next, and then realize what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of the, I mean, Again, I mean, we could go through entire lives in spiritual poverty, not understanding the riches God has in store for us. Believe, brothers and sisters, we are so rich. I, we can't even... If God, I mean, God can reveal how rich we are in Christ Jesus. But so many times we live in poverty, especially when we are faced with those circumstances where we are, we just look at our surroundings and circumstances, we're just like, oh, woe is me. And we lose the power to live a Christian life, the proper Christian life, because we don't have the right perspective. But what if we have the right perspective? What if we know how rich we are? You know, you can be a billionaire or millionaire 
and you can have a billion dollars in your bank account, but you know, what if somebody, I mean, this is an analogy, this, uh, what if somebody, a rich uncle, deposited a million dollars in your bank account, and you know, you never realized it, you, you thought only he had like hundred dollars in your bank account, the entire life you can live in poverty, losing the joy, I mean, without realizing you're rich, just because you have all that money deposited in your bank account doesn't mean anything unless you draw on that, unless you realize how rich you are. All the joy of being a, uh, the rich person and all the privileges that come, can be completely lost unless we have a realization of our riches. Let the Lord help us to realize the riches we have in it. So when we realize the riches of, riches of His inheritance, you know, we face poverty, we face of poverty in this life, or you know, not just just physical poverty, but in so many ways we can face needs and wants, right? I mean, we can be in such situations. All of us can be in such situations. That that's the moment we can look to the Lord and see that He is He is the richest of of His inheritance, and realize how rich we are, and and draw upon that, draw upon that riches. But again. It requires our eyes and uh, our eyes of understanding to be enlightened for us to realize that again, going through entire life, so many of us go through that, and again, it requires the believers to step in and intercede for one another, so that each believer would realize how rich they are in Christ Jesus, how privileged they are, and to live according to that in privilege, in in joy, in. It, and in 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 um, with the, and definitely a life that's uh, conscious of that uh, would have a, a different perspective and have a more um, uh, richer walk with the Lord. And then finally, uh, verse nineteen it says, "And what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? What is the exceeding greatness?" Again. You know, we as believers can go through entire lives without realizing the power of God in our life. And what is this power? And it's beautiful. It says, what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His might? Now, here's the, and, and here's where you realize how great is His power, okay? Which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And seated him in his right hand of the heavenly. What is the power? It's not talking about any other power. You're talking about the greatest power that is ever exerted. Greater power than when creation, when God spoke and all the world came into existence. A greater power was exerted when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and raised him up and placed him at the highest place. He destroyed death. The power of death, Satan, all of that in that one act. Greater power. And scripture says here, that power is working in us. I don't, I don't understand this. And if it is not written in the word of God, I probably couldn't believe it too. But here it is, it says, that power that God exercised in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the highest places, that is Working in us. But here's the problem. We do not realize that. And you can have, you know, an equipment with, that can carry 
hundred tons of material, right? But if it's not plugged in, or if that equipment is not used, that can that equipment or a crane or whatever it is, it can sit there not performing its task. Just because it has the power doesn't mean that that power is exercised. But God says in the scripture, it's here. That great power is in us. And imagine what could, um, how transformed the world would be if the believers realized that this power existed in us and they exercised it. The world would be a different place. That's why Lord Jesus said, if you even have a faith as a mustard seed, if you tell this mountain, mountain, be displaced, I'm paraphrasing of course, and that's the power that has been deposited in us. But we can go through the entire life without realizing that. Imagine if believers who have, who come, have come to real, realize that power, how much more effective they would be for the ministry of God. The world will be transformed. You know, we can ask and God will grant. What do we ask in His name? That's what it says. We can pray. We can ask of God for the gates of hell that prevent the gospel from penetrating to be torn down. And they'll be torn down. And I believe that's what's happening. Believers have been praying. And it's been my prayer, especially in the Islamic world, that the gates of hell that's been raised up will be torn down. You think the God, God will not hear that prayer? That power will not be, that will not be torn down? But believers have to realize that power, that great power, the resurrection power is available in us. All we have to do is plug in. Plug in. Plug in and realize that that power is in us. But here's where believers have to intercede for one another so that we realize that, you know, that so that all of us realize that power resides in us. And we exercise that power for the glory of God. <clears throat> the time is almost up. I just want to read one more verse. So let me ask, before we, I read that, let me ask. So you think if we pray like this, God will answer that prayer? You think we, we start interceding for the saints? So that the saints will grow in the knowledge of God. The saints will realize the hope of his calling. The saints will uh, understand um, the riches of his inheritance. The saints will understand the power. You think God will answer that prayer? Turn with me to First John chapter 5. <clears throat> Turn with me to First John chapter 5 verse 14 and 15. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Let me read this one. This is very important. Verse 14 again. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. So is this the will of God? 
Absolutely. Because the scripture, it's in the scripture, right? So if we, the scripture is guaranteeing, it's a promise of God we can claim. It says, this is a confidence that we have in it, that if we ask anything according to His will, and this is the will of God, and He hears us, and God cannot lie. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have. Uh, we have. It, it says here, in conference, uh, John says, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. You, you pray, you can take that to the bag. You pray in the will of God, you know it's already answered. That's what it says here. We have the petitions answered. It's guaranteed. There's not. You pray according to the will of God, and you don't even have to wait. It's answered already. That's what Scripture says here. And we know it's the will of God for believers to intercede and believers to grow in the knowledge of Him. Believers to have the proper hope of His calling. Realize the inheritance, riches of His inheritance and the power. And God says here in the Word that God will answer that prayer. What else can we ask for? Let me challenge you as we close this. I don't want this to be just a, you know, just a message and just for us to go for, but from here. But, you know, in my own prayer is that my prayer life will be transformed as a result. I mean, I should admit it's not, I've, my prayer life, life has not been this way. But it's my a prayer that, you know, I would, my prayer life will be transformed. And each of, each of us can pray that way, that our prayer lives will be transformed. And let me challenge you in a practical sense. Like each of us, we, know, we can look at, maybe it's probably practically difficult for us to pray in this manner with intensity for all of us, right? But each of us can sponsor one believer or few believers. And, you know, say, I, I'm going to pray for that believer. Even, and you can even go and tell that person. And I'm going to pray for you this way. And I want, I, I want to see so that I can see your life being transformed. Can we do that? Can we, can, we, can we make a decision before God that we will uphold our believers, we'll intercede for our believers in this manner? Can we take, a, can we take a, a, consider a brother or sister and pray for them and see God working? And it would be amazing to see God answer the prayer and that person being transformed. And if all of us pray like that, this church would be a different place. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy with the believers here. But of course, there's so much more we can grow. So much more. And we can be mighty people for God, doing His work, serving and glorifying. Let's take that resolve before the Lord, you know, for His glory. As a brother said, the times are so near. Things are happening so fast, you know. Let's serve Him while we have time. Serve Him by interceding for the saints and petitioning Him. And so that our church, not just this local church, the believers all, all over, be transformed, especially in these last days, to stand up for God, be a great witness in these last times, so that, you know, this hope, this, in this world without hope, we might be seen as a people of hope and a source of truth and knowledge. That's, uh, if uh, any, any, anybody's led to pray, I would invite you.